patient, enduring, work, not a feeling, selfless, kind, choice, powerful, sacrifice, bearing one another's burdens, hope, love is. So what does this love look like? Christ taught us that the world will know we are his disciples by our love. This love for God, the love we experienced firsthand in his resurrection, must translate into love for our neighbors and communities. How do I love my neighborhood? How do I make a difference around me? Because love is local. is local. When I say love is local, we're going to look at a passage of scripture from Jeremiah chapter 29. And as soon as I say Jeremiah 29, I'll give you the context of it in, in a little bit. But hopefully this Jeremiah 29 should ring some bells for some of our faithful and loyal STSA members. Anyone remember anything significant about us as a church family for Jeremiah 29? Anybody? It goes way back. About a year and a half. Huh? Yeah, very good. My wife knows, okay, because she's the one who helped me find it, okay? <laughs> if the wife can't answer the questions, you're in trouble, okay? If your wife can't answer your questions. Yeah, this was our, our promise. Last year in 2014, we came up with like a promise for our church, a promise from God to our church. And it came from Jeremiah chapter 29. And I want to go back to that story right now, give you a little context of the story, and then we'll jump into what the scripture says. Jeremiah 29 takes place at a time where the Israelites, the children of God, the special people, the chosen people, who all those great promises in the scripture were about. You're a royal nation. You're a chosen generation. You're my beloved people. You be holy because I'm holy. I'm your God. I fight for you. All those promises, the people of Israel found themselves in a state of captivity. They were slaves in a country called Babylon. Now, just a little historical context. The people of God even though never having an army, or never really an army to speak of, I should say, was always victorious against their enemies because they were God's people. God fought for them. But there were two exceptions. The first exception happened, the famous one with Moses. Okay, back in the book of Genesis and Exodus, okay, the transition between the two, when the people were slaves in the land of Egypt and they were there for 400 years and then God broke them out that's the whole 10 plagues and uh, crossing of the Red Sea and that whole victorious stuff. He led them to the promised land. They lived in the promised land for quite some time. They had battles here and there, but they always ended up on the right side of the war. Until, fast forward several hundred years right now, they end up captives, a country called Babylon, because basically Israel had foregone God's commands and they disobeyed God. So he allowed them to fall slave and captive to a country called Babylon. And they spent 70 years in captivity to Babylon. What's Babylon? What is Babylon? Like, what's a modern-day Babylon city? I would say, like, Babylon was a highly glamorous place. It was, it was a lot of hoopla, a lot of, I don't want to say celebrities. Like, we look at celebrities, but it was a rich place. It was a godless society. No one be offended by this, okay? I'm an East Coast boy. But if I had to come up with a city in America, I was going to go L.A. and Hollywood. But I don't mean it in a bad way. Nothing against our Los Angeles brothers and sisters, okay? Nothing like that. But it's that kind of a city where you're there to be seen. And it's Babylon and culture and art. And Babylon is like this high-class place. It's a godless society by every stretch of the imagination. They didn't have nothing called worship of the God of Israel. In fact, 
any of their gods were the pagan gods, and they were some of the worst gods that there was. So here you have this godless city, pagans, heathens, everything that God said, I hate, this city embodies, Babylon. And now you have the children of Israel who everything that God says he loves, my special people, and these are slaves to these people. These people came, they beat them, they set their city on fire, they destroyed the place, they killed hundreds of thousands, and those few weak ones who remained, like the women and children who they didn't want to kill, or maybe some of the men they wanted to take as slaves, they brought them back into this land. What's the feeling of the Israelites living in Babylon? What's the feeling of the children of the king who are now enslaved in captivity in this godless place called Babylon? You say any negative word you want. They were miserable. They were depressed. They were hopeless. They were in despair. They were resentful. They were resentful against each other for allowing this to happen. They were kind of resentful towards God for, for he could have easily won the victory. But God didn't help them. And it's, of course, their fault. But this is how they were feeling. If you were talking to the Israelites when they were in captivity, this was the worst thing that could have happened to them. Their whole life was bleak. Now, in the midst of that context, God speaks to the children of Israel through Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah 29. What do you think God is going to say to them in the middle of this horrible and godless and pagan society in which they live? What do you think God is going to say to them? Well, let's see what he says. Jeremiah 29, verse four through six. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and you give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. A little strange? Is this what you were expecting? I'll tell you what I was expecting. I was expecting God to say, okay, you're in this horrible place and the people there are wicked. Don't talk to them. Don't meet with them in any way and just kind of stay to yourselves on the side, create a little island, make very high walls so they can't see you and you can't catch whatever godlessness they may be infecting you with and just kind of keep to yourselves. Protect yourselves and don't worry, after a few years, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna get rid of those guys and I'm gonna take care of you. But that's not what God says. What does God tell them to do? He says, build a house. You know how when you're in some place short term, you know, I'm not gonna buy, I'm just gonna rent. Why would I buy if I'm only here for a short term? This is not my land. That's my land. I'm just going to rent. God says, no, buy. In fact, don't just buy, build. Buy land and hire a contractor and get the built long-term project. He even tells them, what? Plant a garden. Eat their fruit. So you're going to be here for a while. You might as well have a garden, okay? What kind of fruits you like, vegetables? Like, make yourself at home here. What God is telling them, in essence, is invest in the place in which you live, which seems like the counter to what we would say. We would think he would say, protect yourself from the heathen. But he says the exact opposite. And he goes even a step further in the next verse. And seek, this was our promise last year, and seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive. Twice he there, he said, I'm the one who caused you to be there. So we'll keep that in mind. Seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. God gave them a, a, I don't want to say a tough command, a doesn't make sense command. 
Something that was so foreign to them because especially in the Old Testament, much more than today, God's people were very separate from the rest of society. They were Jews and they were Gentiles. And what does Gentiles mean? It doesn't mean a specific group of people. It just means anyone who's not like us. Let's talk about un intolerant right, and, and talk about not inclusive. We are Jews and anyone else who exists in the entire universe who isn't like us is a Gentile. And Gentiles, another word for Gentiles, sorry for the expression, they could interchange Gentiles with dogs. Those are the two, you could use those two terms interchangeably. But then God says, they're bad, they're horrible, don't be anything like them. Even you can call them, sorry for my expression, dogs. But now he's saying to do what for them? To pray for them. And to pray for their peace. Peace, another word, you can translate peace there. Other uh, translations have prosperity. Pray for their peace, pray for their prosperity, because in their peace or prosperity, you will have the same. Okay, follow me here on this one. This is going to set up the rest of my talk here today. Follow me on this one. If God, thousands of years ago, thousands of years ago, if God tells his people thousands of years ago to invest in the city in which they lived in, to care about the prosperity and the peace of the city in which they lived, even though they were taken by force, even though it was a godless society, even though it was against the will of God for them to even be in that situation, if God tells them to invest in the city in which they live, how does God want me to look at the city that I live in? How does God want me to look at my neighborhood, at my community, and my city, and my county, and my state, and my country, and my world that I live in. See, today we're shifting the Love Is series in a sense. We've been talking thus far about love of neighbor. Today we're going to talk about love of neighborhood. And we're going to shift from loving the people that are in our minds to loving the people that we live closest next to. And the people that are around us and the people that we may not even know that are all around us, be it in Arlington or Rockville or College Park or Bethesda or, or Herndon or wherever it is that you may live. If God cared that much about people living, caring about the city in which they lived when it was that wicked a society, how does he want me to look at the city in which I live in? You see, I'll, I'll help you answer this question because I'll tell you my, my opinion on this subject. And my opinion on this subject, it is our duty not, not something that we can choose yes or no. It is our obligation, our duty to invest and to care about the city in which we live. And if we do not, then we are not fulfilling a command that Jesus gave to his disciples when he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. It is a command to us to let our light shine, that the people who are all around us, again, be it whatever community it is that you live in, people around us should say, thank God for you. Our neighbors here should say, thank God for this church in our building. We want, when we, whenever our time is up here at George Mason University and God moves us to whatever kind of home, we want the people at George Mason to say, we're happy that you are here. We're happy that you're moving on, but man, we're gonna miss you. You guys were a blessing to us. We want the city of Arlington, if God forbid, if one day something ever happens, we say, you know, we're going to move to, uh, yeah, wherever, Falls Church, D.C., whatever. People of Arlington, we want the mayor to call, does Arlington have a mayor? Okay. <laughs> we want the governor, okay? If we move to Maryland, let's go to Maryland. We want the governor of Virginia to call us up and say, no, please don't go. Please don't go. We want the people up and down the street, the people from Pollo Rico should be the saddest people when we leave. 
or not for financial purposes. Because that's what we were commanded to do. We were commanded to walk around this earth, be it wherever it is that we are, and people should see us and say, thank you, God, for them. God, you are a great God. If, you, if these people belong to you, you're a great God. And we need to that to be actualized in our church. That's why one of the things that we did when we created this church, established, not created, I should say, is that we programmed this straight into the, one of the core values of the church. You walk by that core value sign every time you walk into this church, the last core value on there is genuine love for community. We believe this. And we bleed with love for the community around us. And why we said we bleed? Because Jesus bled with love for, his, for the community around us, especially those who are without Christ. We don't just care about spiritual needs, but physical, emotional, social needs as well. We seek to be a true blessing to the community in whatever way we can. I don't see this as an option. I don't see this as the icing on the cake. I don't see that as the children of God and God who cares about the people in our community, I don't see that we have an option to say, well, I don't care about them or it's none of my concern. In the scriptures, Jesus commanded us to be salt to this earth. Maybe you've heard that expression, light, of the, light to the world and salt to the earth. You know what's salt? What happens if you eat something and there's not enough salt? You say, yeah, you do like that, right? But then you put the right amount of salt? Like a piece of meat is a piece of meat. But when you put the right amount of salt, we should make, again, funny expression, we should make Arlington taste better. You should make your office taste better. You should make your neighborhood a more pleasant place to live in. Your neighborhood association, like I said, you move out, neighborhood associations that say the values decreased after you moved out. Because we are called to be light to this world and salt to this earth. And if we're not doing that, something ain't right. And again, just to show you how important this is to us, we did something here when we started the church. One of the very, very first things that when we established this church, all of our core values are super important. All of them. Each one is equally important. There's 10 core values. Each one is equally important. But this one in particular, we want to do something special about because this one is the tendency to kind of fall off the edge of the plate. This one is, yeah, what's that big deal? It's very easy to be internally focused and care about community and care about spiritual growth and care about uh, evangelism. And, and it's very easy to do those things and let this loving the community one off, off the radar because the community is usually not in these chairs. So it's very easy to get rid of the opinion of the people who are outside because they're not in these chairs. They're not in the meetings where, they, where the votes are taking place. So we did something. We established a separate organization, which is not really separate, but sort of separate, called the Hope Association. And I want to talk a little bit, five minutes here today, about what is the Hope Association. And I want to start with a, a show of hands. How many people, and be honest, you will not offend me or offend anyone in this room. Be honest. How many people have heard of the Hope Association, but have no idea what it's there for? Raise your hands. Okay, very good. That's exactly what I expected. Well, I want to hopefully change that here today. Because what I realized is there's a lot of things that we do, and we just kind of take for granted that everyone's always been around since the beginning to understand. Well, I want to take a step back here and explain to you why we established something called the Hope Association, why it exists, and what it exists to do. I'm going to talk about it for a little bit. All right, I'm going to kind of talk about the purposes of it. And then someone's going to come up here and speak very personally about what it has meant to him in his life. First of all, what's the Hope Association? I said it's a separate organization. I say that because on paper, it, it is. Okay, it's a nonprofit organization, 501c3, whatever it is, that is our face 
to the community, both in a local and in a national or global kind of a sense. And I'll explain what I mean in a second. And the reason why, like some people say, why do you need a separate aso association, do community service, do all these different things that I'm gonna talk about? Because one of the points of it was to get into the community and to love the community. Well, the community, for unfortunately, because it's our own fault, it's all of our fault, we all take blame for this one. Unfortunately, there's sometimes people in the community hear church and they say, no, thank you. And that's our fault. It's not their fault. It's our fault. We gave them a bad impression of the church at some point in time. Okay? So we need to change that. But, for, but it is what it is. And people here at church, they say, oh, you just want to come to make us members of your church. We say, no, we don't want to come make members of your church. or our church. They say, oh, you just come in. You're trying to uh, proselytize or preach some crazy, you know, repent for tomorrow. The earth is going to go away. And like, you're going to be crazy or something like that. We don't want to have nothing to do with you. So we said, you know what? We're going to create a separate organization that isn't called a church. It's called a nonprofit. Because once you say a nonprofit, and you say, we want to come to your school and help out in your school, people are very open to that. Church? No, don't come near our school. We want to come to the hospital, the children's hospital, and help out there. Oh, yeah, sure, come to church. Stay away from us. You know what I mean? Like, we pray against you. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not realizing that we can do the same, but that's okay. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about what is the purpose of the Hope Association. I want to start off by saying this is that what I am not trying to do today at all is solicit volunteers or money for anything that we do. We're happy to have volunteers. We're very happy to have money at all times. But that is not the purpose. My purpose is more of information and education as to why we do what we do and what the importance for all of us, whether you take part in a Hope Association activity or not, but to understand the concept of what it means to love our neighborhood, because I believe, like I said, it is so important as, as Christians. I'm going to talk about it this three, in, in, three, in three kind of purposes right here. All right. The purpose of Hope Association, and we're going to run through them quick, and I'm going to break them down. And like I said, I'm going to bring someone up here, share his part of it. Three purposes. And you can look at them at three different levels. Number one is to help members, members of this church, to fulfill their calling as followers of Jesus Christ. Because like I said, it is whether we have a nonprofit or whether we do community service or not, you as a member of the body of Christ, as a child of God, you have a duty, an obligation, a calling to love your community. That's not an option. So Hope Association, hopefully facilitate. Number two, to show love to the Arlington, D.C. community. And number three, to equip leaders and influencers to do the same in their communities. Look at it at this level at a personal level, to help the members of the church, at a local level, to help our community, and number three, at a national level, to help those outside of our community to do the same help to their communities and for their church members. We're gonna go through each of these three, and I'm actually gonna start at the bottom and work my way backwards, and you'll see why when I do it. So I'm gonna start at the top, or the bottom level, and I'm gonna say at the national level. At the national level, the purpose of Hope Association is to equip leaders or influencers, and I like the word influencer because some people don't consider themselves a leader, but everyone can be an influencer, to do work in their communities, to love their communities wherever it is that they may be. Now, I'm talking about a national level, and, and one of the things you all know about me is that I hate, hate, with a capital H-A-T-E, hate traveling. Hate traveling. Hate, hate, hate. I don't mind driving. I hate airplanes. I hate everything about them. I hate airports. I hate lines and security. I hate the fact that 
you, when I'm on a plane, you tell me when I can go to the bathroom and when I can't go to the bathroom, not knowing that I really do need to go at this moment. I hate the fact that if I do go to the bathroom, I have to be a ballerina to, to balance myself because I don't want anything to touch anything on there. I hate the fact that my stomach goes and does somersaults. I get nauseous every time. I start sweating profusely when I'm on a plane. I hate the fact that the guy next to me, I always sit next to the <laughs> sniffler the whole time. Always end up sitting next to Slifner, who never wants to share his armrest, and I'm not sure I want to share his armrest after that either. And the, 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 the cream, on, the cherry on top, without fail, anytime I pull out my laptop on that airplane and I set myself up on that little tray, I put it on there, what's the guy in front of me do? The second I put it on there, as if he's in a lazy boy. I hate it. I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate to travel. But every time I do travel, my heart gets broken. Because every time I travel, my heart breaks for so many people, good people, better than me and you people, who are hungry for the word of God. Hungry to be part of a church community that is alive and that is spirit-filled. Hungry to see their beauty, the beauty of their orthodox faith, their ancient Christian faith, relevant to a modern world in which we live. And my heart breaks for so many people who don't, aren't able to have what we have right here. And I learned something when I was a kid. My mama taught me that there's a very important principle called sharing, and it's from the scriptures, Hebrew 13, 16. Do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And this gnaws away at me every time I go someplace. And I say, I don't want to travel. And I always tell people, they invite me to travel and travel and travel. And I say, definitely don't invite me to travel while I'm on travel. Because at that point in time, I'm always leaving saying, I'm never going anywhere ever again. But every time it gnaws at me saying, we have something good here. Don't we have something good here? And I feel like it's like, it's a burden on us that we have to share. So how do we share what we have right here and still accommodate my hatred for travel? Well, we do something, maybe you've heard of it, hopefully you've heard of it, called a Momentum Conference. And we do this now two times a year and we do it on two coasts, on the East Coast and on the West Coast. We do it in New York and Los Angeles, all right? And these are pictures from this past year. The top one is from the New York Conference uh, and then the, or Pennsylvania, I guess it was, but just outside of New York. And the bottom one is from the Los Angeles Conference. And the whole point of these conferences is this, is that I hate traveling, but I want to help. So instead of me traveling, like now very rarely do I accept invitations to go anywhere. Very, 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 very rarely, okay? Just in, in unique situations, but very rarely do I. But instead, I said, you know what? There's gonna be one year that I, along with a group from our church, we'll go to the New York area, we'll spend a weekend right there, there's gonna be a visiting priest come here, and we're gonna invest in everything, all of our resources, available to anyone who wants. And we're gonna do the same thing on the West Coast in December. We're gonna do that same thing. And those two weekends, come one, come all, and we give away whatever we can, and we share, and we encourage, and we inspire, hopefully, and we equip, and we invest, and we invest, and we invest, and we invest. And the whole idea is that by doing that on those two weekends when someone says come visit my church wherever it may be I say well you know what it's very difficult for me to focus on my church and your church simultaneously so how about this I'm coming to LA in whatever it may be or I'm coming to New York and wherever it may be can you get your group down together and come down to these things so this is our way that's why I say it's not a me thing it's an us thing that we got good stuff here at this church and we need to share the good stuff that God is giving to us here some people even asked and said like why don't y'all do like consulting? Because you know how people everywhere else in the country don't understand what consultants do except us, 
Okay, because ha everyone here is consultants. No one else in the world knows what consultants is. Half of our church right here is consultants. I used to be a consultant. So they say, y'all are consultants all? Why don't you be like church consultants? And I said, I don't really know what that means, okay? But you never know what down, down the road. If there's any way that we can help without hurting and taking away from the ministry here. That's why, we, that's why I put this stuff under the Hope Association to say, I, this church, we focus on local and just this church. But then we have this whole other entity here, which can now invest in other, other leaders and other influencers all over the country and help them. Because the best thing that we can do is not help individuals, but help areas and help churches to grow and see the good things that we got here. So that's kind of like that first level. That's that national level. Now we'll go down a level. Down a level at the local level. We it created the Hope Association at a local level to be able to show love to the Arlington, D.C. community. How? Maybe you've heard of some of the different events going on, some different programs, whether it is um, the SCAN program, where we do child care for SCAN, which is Stop Child Abuse Now. And we take care of those kids so the parents can get the needed training that they desperately need to take care of their children. Whether it is um, the 5K that we do in the fall, which uh, to the proceeds benefit the children's hospital. Whether it is the Christmas party, as you see right there, Mr. Santa Claus right there. The, the Christmas party we throw for the children in the children's hospital. Or whether it is um, the, the second Saturday serve, which I, which I think happened rec recently, where every once a month we go and we partner with another organization in D.C. to one of these poor areas, and we help to, to hopefully do some fun stuff and give people a, like we do like a project once a month. Or whether it's just the Love Your City, Okay, remember we did that not too long ago, the Love Your City event. We just broke up into groups. We said, you know what? This group's going to go feed the homeless. This group's going to go help in the schools. This group's going to go help in this neighborhood. And we just broke up and loved the city. The whole purpose here is that we need to show love, not to preach, not to preach, but to show love to our local community. Again, why is this so important? Why is it so important for us to be in the community and loving the community? Well, I'll show you why it's so important. Our master, if we are followers of the master, our Lord Jesus Christ, look what our master said, we his disciples. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. It goes to the root of what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian doesn't mean that I wash Jesus's feet. It doesn't because that's what he said right here. He said, I washed your feet. And my response is, okay, well, I'll wash your feet. He says, no, don't wash my feet. Wash each other's feet. Wash the feet of the guy sitting next to you. Peter, you want to wash my feet? No, don't wash my feet. Who's next to you? John, wash his feet. John, who's next to you? Thomas, wash his feet. Thomas, who's next to you? Bartholomew, you wash his feet. You wash one another's feet. I don't see how we can consider ourselves followers of Christ, how we can consider ourselves members of the body of Christ and not care about the needs of those people around us and not be showing love in a tangible kind of a way. I'll give you another example. Another example. If you boil Christianity down to, like if you try to whittle it down, what is Christianity? Whittle it down to, what did Jesus want from people when he met people? What did Jesus want from me? I would say, if you look at what did Jesus want from people, there's so many examples, and I'll bring one right now from John chapter four, the story of the Samaritan woman, which is very dear to my heart. When Jesus met the Samaritan woman, he did two things with her. First thing he did with her is he changed her and he gave her a new perspective on herself. 
and he showed her that she is not defined by her sins, not defined by her past, that she, in his eyes, is precious. And he changed her value of herself in her own eyes. But then instantly, like the flip side of that coin, as soon as he changed her own value in his eyes, he then changed the value of others in her eyes as well. We'll get that story right here in John chapter four. After Jesus preached to her and the woman believed and worshiped him, what is the instantaneous thing that she did next without any instruction, flip side of that coin? John 4, 28. She left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they went out of the city and came to him. Has to be that when he changed her, that she instantly went out and told the whole wide world about the change that she had received from him. Think about it this way. If Jesus is that important to you, I've said this before. If Jesus is that important to you and the people closest to you don't know and can't see it in you, then I say he's not that important to you. You wanna know why? Because I bet you, I bet you that if today you won the lottery, I bet you your neighbors would know. Whether it's the screaming, whether it's the balloons or the new six new Mercedes that you buy or the new clothes that you buy, I bet you your coworkers and your neighbors would know. I bet you if you today thought that you, or not thought, if you had cancer today and you were diagnosed with terminal cancer and you are going down, you have a month to live and then you receive new life and you are healed completely, I bet you everyone around you would know. Samaritan woman received Jesus. It was special to her. The whole city had to know. We receive him all the time. But somehow for us, it's a secret. Don't tell anybody. I won the lottery, but shh, don't want anyone to know. When I read the scripture, I see that there's always two steps. Jesus started with come and see. Jesus ended with go and share. Did he not? He called his disciples. He said, come and see. Come and see. That's what he said. He said, you fishermen, just come see. What you, just come see. Come and taste. Come and see. That's the way it started. That's Matthew chapter four. But the very end of Matthew 28, he didn't say come and see anymore. He said, go and share to all the ends of the earth. This is the way it was. The disciples, come and see, go and share. Samaritan woman, come and see, go and share. Uh, uh, Zacchaeus, come and see, go and share. There's always a come and see and a go and share. Well, I'm afraid that we are very much into the come and see and not so much into the go and share. And when I, again, when I say go and share, I am not talking about evangelism exclusively. Evangelism is part of it, but not exclusively, especially today I'm not talking about evangelism at all. I'm talking about love. And what we're gonna discover actually is that love is the best form of evangelism. Like the best way to evangelize is love. I got a nice quote right here from a Saint, Saint Teresa of Avila, Catholic saint, said this. Christ has no body on earth, but yours. No hands, but yours. No feet, but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ's compassion for the world is to look out. Yours are the feet with which he is about to go, which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he is to bless us now. Can you imagine? St. Teresa lived in like the, I think the 15, 1600, something like that. Can you imagine? Jesus walking around. Can you imagine Jesus walking down the street today? Jesus walking in your office tomorrow morning. Jesus walking in your neighborhood and seeing someone in need and not caring. Can you imagine that? 
Like Jesus sees someone walks by someone's cubicle and they're sad and they just need to talk. Can you imagine Jesus walk by and don't care? Can you imagine someone in the street right here who's in obvious need of assistance, someone on the side of the road, need of assistance, and Jesus just walked by and don't care? Can you imagine it? You can't picture it, can you? I can picture it. Happens every day. Happens every day. Happens every time that you walk by your coworker and do nothing. Happens every time you walk by someone in need and do nothing. Jesus walks by and does nothing. Not by his own decision, by your decision. Because as St. Teresa said, Jesus has no body except your body. Jesus, you should do something. <laughs> yeah, you should. You're supposed to be me. I'm supposed to be inside you. You're supposed to be my representative on this earth. You're my disciple. I'm your Lord and your master. Well, if I'm your Lord and your master, then go out there and do what I would do. That's why I'm saying, it's hard for me. It's hard for me to read the New Testament and to see that we as Christians have an option. I, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying what we're talking about right here is the cream of the crop. I'm, I don't see that we have an option, that there's a choice to say, I wanna follow you, Jesus, but I don't wanna care about the people around me. I wanna follow you and I wanna be your disciple, but I don't wanna go and share with anything that you've given me. I don't see that we have that option in the church. And if you do, maybe you, you show me where it is in the Bible because I, I just don't see it. That's why we created hope. We created hope because there's people on our streets that need help and we have the help we wanna share. We created hope because there's people in this country who need in need of assistance and we have what we can help them. We created it for that reason. But the third reason is actually the most important of the three. And the third reason is actually the one that if you wanna know like my dream, is actually more about this third reason, which is really the first reason than it is about the other two. And that is this. It's at the personal level. And that is, we created Hope Association to help members, members of the church, you, me, to fulfill our calling as followers of Jesus Christ. What I'm gonna do for this one? I can sit here and preach to you all day and all night, but I'm gonna invite Steve to come on up here. And Steve is going to share with us about his experience with Hope Association. Those who don't know Steve, Steve is my brother, okay? And he is also the one who's kind of taken the lead on most of these initiatives here in the Hope Association, kind of put together the big picture. So we're going to give Steve a big, warm STSA at the well at STSA. Welcome. Okay. Can you come up here and share with us? And I'm gonna come, I'll come back and wrap things up. Thank you very much, Abuna. <clears throat> Before I kind of get into my story, I, um, how amazing was that woman who opened up the well? Did you guys notice her? She was, uh, wow, I mean, the, the person who snatched her up must be one lucky guy. And, you know, I, I think she seems like the type that if her husband were to forget that it was Mother's Day today, she would forgive him and let him watch the basketball game today. Don't you think? She just looked like that, okay? I just got to take care of some business before I get it. I was thinking on the, on the ride over here this morning. <clears throat> I've spoken at the well probably... I don't know, five or six times before. I've spoken on a number of different subjects, subjects that I know a lot about, subjects I don't know as much about, subjects that I love, subjects that I don't necessarily love, on a myriad of different subjects I've spoken about. I've never been more uncomfortable about a subject than I am today. And I'm just speaking for 10 minutes. You know, most of the time I speak for 45, you know, 50 minutes. Never been more, and I, I, I imagine you can tell, Never felt more uncomfortable than I am today because the subject is myself. I've never talked about myself. And 
you know, my older brother is very good at talking about himself. I'm not as good at talking about myself. Um, but it's something important, and it's something that needed to be shared today. So I want to share my story a little bit. Because my story really started off very, you know, no different than anyone here. You know, I, I grew up in the church for the most part. Started really getting into the church in like junior high, high school, and I would characterize myself as somebody who excelled at doing church. And when I mean I excelled, I mean I really excelled at church. I mean, I was a, a quick learner. I learned all the hymns of the church. I could sing them in 17 different languages, learned them in Spanish just to show off. I, you know, learned how to play instruments. I learned how to play the cymbals maybe 42 different ways. And if we had some more time, I could bring them up here. And I can play them with my eyes closed behind my back. I learned how to talk the talk. I learned how to socialize with so many different people. I was a social butterfly. Okay, I excelled at church. Okay, I even had the back problem, which means I was doing a lot of prostrations. Okay, I learned how to do church better than, than most of my peers. St. Paul actually talks about a verse in, in Philippians chapter 3. I love the way he described this, and I really feel like this kind of described me uh, for, for most of my church life. St. Paul says in Philippians 3, he says, If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law blameless. St. Paul is saying, if you think you're a good church guy, I got you beat. I'm the cream of the crop when it comes to church. And that's really how I was for a significant part of my church life. But something was missing, and something just wasn't right about what I was doing. And I felt like I began realizing that something was wrong with what I was doing. I felt like there had to be more. And you know the feeling that I felt? If I could use this expression, forgive me. I felt very fat. And when I mean fat, I don't mean physically fat. I, I felt spiritually fat. I felt spiritually selfish. Everything about my church life was about one person. And that was me. It was my skills and abilities, my seat in the church, my parking spot in the parking lot, my friends, my comfort, my coffee, my comfort level in everything. My church life centered around one person, and one person was the head of my church life, and that was me. I became so involved in church that I lost Christ. I became so involved in church that I lost Christ. And see, all of that changed over the past few years. As Abuna mentioned, I've become getting much more involved in service outside of the church and in helping out outside of the church. And that has made all the difference in my life. I felt like everything I learned when I was younger, everything that I learned in the church, I wasn't learning, I was living. I was experiencing the Jesus that I had read about, that I had, you know, talked about, all of that I was seeing for the first time. That I stopped worshiping God with my tongue and with an instrument and started worshiping God with my hands. Started experiencing Christ with my hands. I wasn't singing to him anymore. I was worshiping him with my body. The other thing I found is I found perspective in my life. 
You know, when you get so wrapped up in yourself, you think that your problems and your things that are going on are the most important, largest things in the world. And serving outside of my church community gave me no option but to gain perspective. How could I be so upset at a problem with my boss at work when I was going to feed a homeless man who wasn't sure if he was going to have food that night for his family? How could I be so annoyed at my wife or my kid or my brother or my mother or my father, all these petty things, when I was going to visit a child who had a, an illness, a terminal illness, that he didn't know if he was going to, to live next year? I found perspective in my life. The other thing I found is I found real joy. Not joy that you get from hanging out with your buddies or in that perfect cup of coffee or that perfect seat or that perfect, perfect parking spot. I found real joy when you're tired, when you're, you're not feeling well, when you're inconvenienced and you go and you're able to meet the needs of somebody else. That's something I can't really describe, but you know it when you've experienced it. Real joy. And the last thing I found is I found Christ in the service of others outside of the church community. Not only did I find, I found Christ, you know what else I found? I found the church. See, we're kind of switching roles here because Father Anthony's talking about hope. I'm talking about the church right now because church stopped becoming a country club where I go and show off my best of the best, but church became the pit stop. You know what a pit stop? The pit stop where I go and my tank is empty. I have poured out everything on other people. I've spent all week serving those in my neighborhood, serving those in my community, giving of everything I have. So I come to church on Sunday and I say, Lord, I need you to fill me. And the Lord says, here, because I know you're giving it to others. See that feeling of being fat, spiritually fat? That went away because I was emptying myself on other people. And that feeling of, of b church became like a powerful thing. Church became a thing where I don't care where I sit. I don't care where I stand. I don't care what instrument I play. I don't care who I talk to because church is the place where I meet my Savior. Church is the place where I meet him who fills me with love and joy and peace and all that. And then I go and I give to others. That's the reason that we come to church. That's the reason that we have church. So that's why I do what I do. And, I, and I, believe me, I don't do anything special. And there are tens of volunteers that I could bring up here that do more for hope and do more for the church than I ever can do or will do. But that's why I feel so strongly about it. And that's why I'm willing to work so hard at it. Because I was given that opportunity, and I want to provide other people with that opportunity. And that's why I'm really sharing my story today. Is I, I, like I said, I hate doing this. But I felt like I needed to share my story. Because I feel like there may not be, like not everyone in this room feels that same way, but I bet, I bet there's somebody in this room who feels the same way I felt a few years ago. Feels like, you know what? This church thing, it's not enough. Like there's something missing in my church life. There's something missing in my walk with Christ. It can't just be meeting and coffee and this and this. Like there's got to be more. Somebody in here, is feeling that way. And that's why I wanted to share my story because it's my prayer that through this series, those who are feeling that way, those who are yearning for something more can find that something more through loving, through loving their neighborhoods, through loving their communities, and, and, and really 
More people can find Christ and find the church through loving their local communities. That's my story. Thank you. Thank you very much, Steve, for sharing that. Good luck with the wife. <laughs> Let me know how it goes. Steve said it best. Now you see why I wanted him to come up here and talk about it, not myself. Too many of us, we water down our faith. And we water it down into what we believe and what time we come to church. And we, and we take the message of Christ, which is come and see and go and share, and we chop it in half and say, well, I'm just going to work on the come and see part. And I'm going to work on that for the next 50 years of my life. I don't see how you can be a follower of Christ without this component of loving your neighborhood as part of it. Jesus said this in Mark 10, 45. And Steve exemplified it perfectly. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Why I wanted Steve to talk about it? Because I, want, I thought he could do a better job of explaining something which I believe with all my heart but I know you're not taking my opinion for it because I'm in this thing full time right here. But what I believe with all my heart, all my heart, all my heart is that the happiest people in the world are those who give the most. The, the happiest people, the people with the biggest smiles on their faces are not the people who are receiving the most, but people who are giving the most. And for those of you here at the happiness event we did a couple weeks ago, you saw this exemplified right in front of your very eyes. And when God gives us a commandment, just like parents, we don't give children commandments based on what we want for ourselves. We give children commandments based on what we want for them. You have to study before you go play. Why? Because I want you to be successful. You have to eat vegetables, not ice cream. Why? Because I want you to be healthy. And Jesus says, you have to come and see, but then you have to go and share. Why? Because I want you full of joy. I want you full of happiness. I want you full of peace that cannot be wiped off your face. And the only way you're gonna, we're going to find this is by living as he, as he exemplified for us. Write this down in your handout here as your last fill-in. It says, I need two components. I need a personal relationship with God that transforms me. I'm not negating that. or I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking, that's not my subject today, but we can't, like that has to be the starting point. It's not a matter of just go do nice things it's, it's not that. It has to be a personal relationship with God that transforms me. But then I have to turn the coin over and have a public relationship with God that transforms my world. If I marry my wife, my lovely wife and mother of my children, and it affects me, it changes me, yes. But if it doesn't change the rest of my life, then something ain't right. Like it, if it, it changes me, Absolutely. But if it doesn't change the rest of my relationships and the rest of my life outside of me and her, then something happened that wasn't right. Christianity wasn't meant to just change us. Christianity was meant to be a fire that spreads throughout all the world. Look at these two verses and put them side by side. Connect these two verses together. It says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world that he gave his son for the world. Next verse, 1 John 2, 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. How did he walk? He gave himself for the sake of the world and for the sake of their lives. I asked myself a question. What do I want people to take away from today? Like every time I, I prepare a message, I try to like to whittle it down just for my own sake and hopefully for your sake too, to like, what's the ask that I'm asking people to do? What, what do I want from you based on what I'm saying here? Do I want you to give? No. Do I want you to volunteer for all these different activities? No. What is it that I want you to do? 
Sharing, okay, absolutely. But before sharing, I want everyone to do this. I want everyone to say a prayer. And it's a very short prayer, and it's a very simple prayer, but I want everyone to do it. And it's at the bottom of your handout, so you can take it home and you can put it somewhere memorable. All I want you to do is say a prayer. And the prayer is this. Lord, how do you want to use me as an agent of your love? Show me how. Simple. That's all I want you to do. I don't want you to sign up for nothing just because I made you feel guilty or your Steve made you feel, I don't, I don't want you to sign up for nothing. I don't want you to give nothing. I want you to say a prayer. Say, Lord, how do you want to use me as an agent of your love? And I know some people in this room, because this is just the way it is, some people will not say this prayer. Or some people will say it once and then forget about it or say it just because I made them say it. They just want to check off. Some people won't say it. That's fine. I understand that. But some people will say it. And I believe that God will answer it. Whether he answers it in a personal way or not to set things up too much for next week when we have the finale, I believe he may answer it next Sunday, to be honest. That's why I want you to pray this week because I believe that he may answer that question for you next Sunday in a very specific way of how he wants to use you as an agent of his love in your home, in your office, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your church. God has so much love to give to this world. No one would deny that. And the means by which he shows it is you. Lord, how do you want to use me as an agent of your love? Lord, show me how. Let's stand together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for this message today. And we thank you because you, as like the designer of the universe and the designer of our souls, you know what's best for us, Lord. And you know what we need and you know what will fulfill the desires of our heart. And you, Lord, have shown to us that a life of giving will always be more blessed than a life of receiving. That a life of serving others will always be more blessed than a life of being served. And I pray, Lord, that you would really cement that, that ingrain that inside of us, Lord so that we can pray with all sincerity of heart, Lord, how do you want to use me as an agent of your love? I don't want to just say those words. Lord, I want to really mean that. And I want every one of us to pray that prayer and, and really be open to however it is that you want to use us, even in crazy kinds of ways that we would have never guessed. But I know, Lord, that your love is too great to keep. Your love is too great for us to contain inside of us, Lord. It has to be something that spreads. This fire inside of us, Lord, can't just keep it to ourselves. So Lord, reveal to us how you want to use us. Help us to pray this prayer this week and to mean it and to be ready to hear your answer to how you want to use us as an agent of your love. Accept our prayer in the name of your son who loved us and gave himself for us in every way imaginable. And with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints, hear us, Lord, as we pray together thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.